Jane would turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. And I might just say here that we're in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, for one more Sunday, which means we actually spend three Sundays in Luke 10. Must be something important there for us to see, don't you imagine? So, our lectionary readings have us planted here. I'm going to read... This text, and as our custom is with the gospel reading particularly, is to stand. I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is uh, Luke chapter 10, and we'll drop down to verse 25. Very familiar story probably to many of you. Uh, I'm reading from the RSV here, so join along with me here in, in verse 25 of chapter 10. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But... Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise... A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus, thank you for your word. Apply this word to our hearts today in the preaching of your word and by the power of the Spirit, help us to go and do likewise. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. It always begins with a lawyer, right? In fact, there are several stories of Jesus that do begin with lawyers which were experts of the law. And like an expert, uh, they like nuance. Anybody know any experts in a field? It's all about the nuance, right? It's all about the definitions. Yeah, well, what does that really mean? And so on and so forth. And this lawyer gets himself in quite a pickle with Jesus in the sense that he's trying to test Jesus, but in the end will be tested by Jesus rather than testing Jesus which is kind of a neat thing that happens here in our pericope. He stirs things up pretty quickly, 
And so this familiar story, though, I want us to see it today, if we could, uh, with, with fresh eyes. And maybe the Holy Spirit could teach us a couple things here that we've not seen before. Because, you know, this is a classic story, right? The Good Samaritan. I mean, that's a, that's a classic story. Even though, you know, nowhere in here it, does it say he was a Good Samaritan. But yet we know as soon as we say the Good Samaritan, what story we're talking about. In fact, we even have laws in all 50 states in America of the Good Samaritan law. And so we've even named a law after this. It's a classic, and classics are meant to be read and then reread, right? Watched and rewatched. And so I would invite you again not to just say, oh, this is a ho-hum star. I know this one, so I'm good to take a little nap here. No, bear with me just for a moment as we look again at this classic, classic story that uh, God would have. In fact, as I've looked at Luke chapter 10 here, this particular uh, passage I see it as one of those, you remember those cards? Uh, Justin and I used to collect baseball cards, you know. And ever saw it, I think it was Fleer or somebody, one of those companies, Upper Deck, that had these holographic cards. I really don't know what to talk, uh, to, to say, like to clarify. One of you can help us out later and tell me what kind of card it is. But it was one of these cards where, where it was showed a guy swinging, right? But then you turn it the other way and it, it finishes a swing. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, you, you kind of just, and he's, anybody? No? You know, you've seen these pictures. I don't know what to call them. Holographic 3D, whatever, okay? This story to me is kind of like that. We read it, and we know it, and it's one scene, right? It's part of the scene. And then we look at it again, and, and there's another bit of it. And some stories are layered like that. They're moving in some sense. And I think this one is as well. Jesus is both showing us what his kingdom community is like, and he's calling us, as he always does, to follow him. It's a powerful story with two angles, one being a spiritual angle, and the other being a very strong ethical angle. So one is for us spiritually, the other is for us to do. And that's the way God always does things, isn't it? If you ever read the writings of Paul and get into the theology of Paul, Paul never allows us to think high thoughts and be done with it. Oh, good. You understand that? You, under, you, know, you get the Holy Trinity and know how to talk properly about God? Cool. That's all you got to do. No, 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 no. Now, what does that mean for your neighbor? What does that mean for the next person you meet? So, before we get to those two angles, let's look at just a common feature here in the story. Um, a lawyer is wanting to test Jesus. Is that any surprise to us, right? I mean, lawyers test everything, don't they? We all sigh when we hear, oh, wow, you know, a lawyer now has found a loophole in this wording, right? And so we have to have more lawyers to come along and close those loopholes, right? This is how it works, which is why when you buy a house, you sign 437,000 documents, right? Because the lawyers have all nuanced things to the point of absurdity, right? We can't just shake hands and say, I'm giving you this amount of money and, you know, you're giving me this, right? No, 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 no. God forbid that. The lawyers, right, have got... But there is a place for being expert at the law. There are people called, in fact. I'm one of them. Pastor Bruce is one of them. Who are supposed to be experts of the law. And... That means that we've dedicated our lives to understanding and helping others understand the law. So before we give this guy 
too much of a hard time, let's understand he's a lot like me today. To be real frank, he's a lot like me. This would be like me asking Jesus. So I think what might be happening here is actually this is real life. And in real life, I'm pretty curious about things, right? I oftentimes accidentally, and Jessica lets me know when this happens, push buttons, right? You know, pool party goes late last night in my community. I'm the one who goes down there to shut it down, you know, kind of thing, right? Hey, I just walk into the middle of everybody. Hey, guys, uh, it's 10.30. Pool closes at 10. You know, that's the kind of person I am sometimes, and people don't like that, and that's fine. But I get his wanting to be curious about where Jesus stands on certain issues. I mean, every time I'm around somebody that's important in my field of study, theologian, biblical scholar, what have you, I always come with a couple questions that I'm still wanting to figure out myself, and so I test them. Anybody else do this in their field of knowledge? Yeah? You're like, you're kind of sizing the other person up, right? Like, okay, let's, let's really see if they are on the same page as we are. Let's see if they really are an expert. And Jesus, being a rabbi, was supposed to be an expert. So this expert is talking to another expert. You see what's going on here? And this happens a million times around every single week in all kinds of fields of work. And it happens in this field. And remember, in Jerusalem, this was the most elite field to be in, was knowing the word of God. Oh, how I wish that was the case today. It is not. In fact, in most cultures, for most of history, priests and experts at ritual and ceremonial worship, liturgy one could say, have always held the highest place in a community until modern times. And now it seems the lowest. And there are some reasons for that, and there's always corrections and what have you, and we can talk about that later. But the point is here, this was an elite talking to an elite, so to speak. So that frames up a little bit of why he's asking this question. And Jesus, (laughs) again, being an expert and knowing how to play the game, which he's going to destroy the game here in a second, he answers the question, how? With a question, right? Now, when somebody does that, it gets on my nerves. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I asked Dr. Oswald a question, right, who's an expert in Old Testament, you know, scholarship, renowned. He's been here, preached and all that. Uh, I asked him a question. I just want an answer, right? Like, just give me the answer. If he turned around and said, well, Marshall, how do you read Isaiah on that? I'll start sweating, right? I don't want to be wrong. Now he's asked me to come into this discussion. No, 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 I just want your expert opinion so I can agree or disagree, right? Jesus does not give him that sort of satisfaction. And can I tell you, he doesn't give us that either. Did you know that? If he did, he'd just have some kind of guide that we read along with the Bible. No, you know what the Bible tells us? Study to show yourself approved unto God. It doesn't say, let Pastor Marshall study to show you approved unto God, does it? No. You study. What do you see in the law, Jesus asked. How do you read the Old and New Testament on the matter? Of course, the New Testament hasn't been written at this point. So by law, he means, how do you read the Old Testament? 
He, he comes asking the most important question one could ever ask, which is, how can I inherit eternal life? Now, I might say, some in the evangelical world would stop us right there and say something to the effect of what Jesus doesn't say here, and that is, oh, nothing. You can't do anything. Let me do everything. That's not what Jesus says here, is it? He doesn't say, oh, no, no, you can't inherit eternal life. There's nothing you can do to inherit. That's not what he says, is it? What's the Bible say? And the man's answer is stunning. You know, there's 613 Jewish laws. That's a lot, right? I don't know how many we have in America, but that's a lot of laws. It's hard for me to remember 613 of something, right? There were ceremonial laws. In other words, when you come to church, do this, right? And, and you know, we kind of have unsaid ones, right? You stand up then, you sit down there, you sing now, you give here, you do this, you do that, right? Well, that was some of the law. Other parts of the law were civil. In other words, if your ox, let's translate it to today, if your F-150 hits my F-150 out here in the parking lot, what do we do about that? Well, the law has something to say about it, actually. Has, has distinctions in killing, in other words. All killings are not the same, which even our law nuances, doesn't it? So there's all, and then there's moral laws, ceremonial laws, civil laws. Civil laws can be adapted. Ceremonial laws can be fulfilled. Moral laws stand for all of time. Then you have the Ten Commandments, right? 613 total but then there's a summary that God gives us. Aren't you glad that God gives us summaries? Anybody else like the cliff notes? Anybody else like, just like, you know, I think I want to read that book, but I'd rather just read a review of that book online. Okay, I'm maybe the only one holding up my hand at this point, but sometimes I do that, right? I like summaries, and the Ten Commandments is a summary of the entire law. But the real heart, notice, the real heart of the law and this is how we know this guy's an expert. He knows the 613. In fact, if he's an expert in law, he actually would have been able to memorize the entire Old Testament. That was nothing for a scribe or a Pharisee or a rabbi or here an expert of law, a lawyer, which again just means law, expert of the Bible, basically, right? Well, he knows all those, but what tells us that he's really a smart, bright guy is he's able to get to the heart of the matter. Do you know people who know all the rules, but they really don't know why we have the rules? Do you know what I'm talking about? See, I'm always the guy who wants to know why. Okay, just like in baseball, I was an umpire, right? And I know some real jerk umpires, just to be honest, you know? They deserve to be yelled at, in fact, because they're not nice. They're just, this is the way it is, and you, know, you might as well get over it, coach. I always tried to help coaches understand. Listen, coach, that rule there, I, I know it's, I know your guy's out, but it's for the safety of the players. Don't you hate it when somebody tells you that? It's for the kids. I get it. Okay, man. All right. I'm going to go sit back down on the bench, you know. Um, I like to help people understand the why. And this expert of the law, he doesn't just know the laws. That'd be pretty impressive to begin with. He understands the heart of the law, which is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
strength in your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know these to be the two greatest commandments. One coming from Deuteronomy, the other coming from Leviticus. And these became for Jewish people, especially experts in the law, the heart of the matter. This is why we have all the laws when we run into each other on accident. Oops, I'm so sorry, man. Well, how do we figure this out? Let's go to the law so we can love one another. Do you see how this works? How do we love God? Well, we keep the Sabbath holy. What does that mean? We come to church on Sunday. That's what it means. We do these things, which is back to Jesus' point about the question. He doesn't say, oh, you don't have, you don't have to do anything. I'll do everything for you. No, no, no. You do this and you will live is what Jesus says, doesn't he? These two great commandments. Well, that could be the end right there. Could have been a nice discussion like, wow, whew, whew, that was pretty intense, but yeah, you're right, man. I mean, Jesus tells this dude, you are right. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to have Jesus say to you? Like you answered his question, like Dr. Oswald, I answered his question, and he says, you're right, Marsh. I'd be like, yes, yes, you know, I'd be like jumping inside, you know, nerding out inside like, Old Testament scholar said I was right about this. Jesus said I was right about it. It could have all ended there, but it did not, did it? <laughs> Wanting to justify himself. Give him a break on this. I think if we're characterizing him as fairly good-hearted about this, which, you know, there may be room for less than that, I think he's saying I want to be on the right path. So, so let me, one more question, sir. A clarification question, really. Who's my neighbor? If that's, I get loving God, okay? Pretty clear. Like, I get loving God. I can do that. I'm doing that. I mean, I read his word all the time. I memorize it. I do it. Come to Sabbath. Keep it holy. All these things. But who's my neighbor? Now, in that question is a little sneaky assumption. And that is, everybody's not my neighbor. Right? Who's my neighbor? That's trying to clarify to make sure that those on the outside, I don't have to worry about them, right? Well, he asked this question and he gets now not another question. Right? Jesus, the first time, question, question. And we get the answer. Oh, right on. Yeah, cool. Now, question, and what do we get? Story. Story. Now, <laughs> this parable of Jesus, again, a made-up story that has a very powerful point to it. That's what a parable is at the end of the day. And this story is going to have to give the person time to wait. Because again, I don't like it when somebody gives me a story. Now again, I'm just impatient, okay? But I start shaking my leg, you know, bouncing around, looking around. I'm listening, but it's my ADD trying to absorb and stay in, in focus, right? And I'm doing all these things to try and listen to the story. 
and the story goes on, and you're not real, and then all of a sudden, you know how it is when someone tells a pointed story for a point, is all of a sudden it comes into clarity. And Jesus here, again, spends time with this person. If he wanted him to go away, he could have just simply answered however he, with a list, right? Get out your pen. Here's your neighbors. It's the person who lives next door to you. It's this or that, right? He could have given him a list. And sometimes in the Bible we do have lists. That's cool. Not here. Instead, we get a story. And every parable of Jesus is ultimately, get this, about Jesus. And this parable is no different in this regard. Fundamentally, it is about Christ healing fallen humanity. And so this brings us to the first angle. Remember our card, our holographic 3D card? The first angle is this spiritual understanding that I want to bring into play here. The early church saw this, starting with St. Augustine, by the way. They, they, they all agreed, hey, there's more to this story. And what it is is a spiritual meaning that we are the man who's fallen in the ditch. And Christ is the good Samaritan here. All right, so watch the opening line here, which normally in a story, the opening line is important, right? Long ago and far away, right? You'd know I was telling a a fable of some sort, right? You wouldn't think it was a real story that happened yesterday if I said, hey, on February 28th, 1999, well, then it would be a real story. No, no, no. Jesus starts off, there was a man, and he was moving from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, is there any importance in that? Of course there is. If it's in the Bible, it's important. Jerusalem was what? The mountain of God, the city of God. It's where salvation was promised to come from and, in fact, did come from Jerusalem, didn't it? Where was Jesus crucified? Where was the tomb? Where was his ascension? All in Jerusalem, the mountain of God. So it is correct to think that moving from Jerusalem down, remember Jerusalem's up on a mountain, right? Down to Jericho. Well, remember Jericho? Back from Joshua? Walled city. Obstructing them from entering into what? God's promised rest. And the walls come down, right? But also we, in the New Testament already, in another uh, story, and not a parable, but a real story, blind Bartimaeus is in Jericho. Jericho represents where we are headed if we move away from the things of God, from where his salvation is. Where will we end up? On the ditch somewhere, stripped, robbed, left for dead. Because sin always takes you further than you want to go. Keeps you longer than you want to stay. And costs you more than you want to pay. Has anybody experienced this from sin? At first it starts out small. Eh, a little compromise here and a little compromise there. And the next thing you know, all of hell breaks loose. And this is the story of the man who leaves Jerusalem, leaves the safety of the kingdom of God, and goes down, down into the ditch, and is left robbed, which Satan, what does he come to do? But to kill, steal, and destroy. Oh, dear friends, do you know all those precious people 
Can you imagine? Like, just think about your life real quick. All the things that have happened in your life. All the things you've been able to do and add to society and whatever else. Every one of these people that were lined up right here that we just prayed for, they have a life just like that ahead of them. And the enemy knows it. And he wants to steal it from them. He wants to steal their childhood. He wants to rob them of love. He wants to ultimately destroy them and destroy your family. We need to be aware that we have an enemy. And we often talk about this enemy. Because we're not afraid of the enemy for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have an advocate. We learned last week. There's no reason to fear the demonic. We are exorcists who are to be casting out the darkness with light. So don't move away from Jerusalem, the city of God. No, salvation comes from that mountain. But like everyone before us, we've all gone from Jerusalem to Jericho. And by the way, Jericho is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth. Being near the Dead Sea, it is literally the lowest place on the face of the earth. And it's showing that our descent is a long way down. When we fell, you know, the great fall of mankind, it wasn't just some little fall where we got a little contusion. No, we fell far and we messed everything up. And we were left in the ditch to die. But God, right? Now, the priest and the Levite come through. Now, what do they represent here, spiritually speaking, right? Again, the, the early fathers saw this very clearly. They represent the Old Testament, right? The priest, you can you imagine his position, and the Levite, again, who assisted the priest in the liturgy of the worship. They both have to come before Jesus comes, right? And, and we're told this by Paul, aren't we? The law had to come first to teach us what was wrong. And, and, you know, I, I don't think necessarily we have to have a really bad view of the priest and Levite here. They look down there. I mean, how many of us, if we saw, you know, a car wreck, would want to get involved? Now, some of you would because you have the training. Me, I'd, I'd be, I'd, all I've done when I have seen a car wreck is go over there and pray because that's about all I can do. So in some sense, there's not a lot they can offer to this man that they think is probably dead. And if they're headed up to Jerusalem... The opposite way, well, they're not going to get involved. And so they pass by. Because the law can only tell us what is wrong with us. And it does a good job of that. And we need that in our life. The law is not bad, but it cannot save. Christ alone saves. You see how this works, right? The law is good, but it cannot help us when we're in the ditch dead. It can only say, you're in the ditch dead. Which is kind of a good thing to know, right? Because if you don't even know that, you can't call 911. You can't call out to Christ if you don't know something's wrong. Anybody hear me on this? And let me tell you, some of you are bleeding and wounded and you don't know it. You don't have eyes to see. You don't have the law to come along and be a mirror to show you what has happened to your head. And so we need the law, but it can only say, you're wrong, you're bleeding, you're hurt. And that's a good thing to know, but it's not the end, is it? Christ then comes along 
as the good Samaritan here, which is crazy because the Samaritans were not good. That's what's so interesting about this story is the good Samaritan story. Samaritans were not known for being good. In fact, they were known heretics. They had cut and pasted their own Bible to fit their own religious sensibility about Yahweh. They were literally heretics. Think maybe of Mormons who really do worship a different Jesus. We could maybe substitute here and say the good Mormon, which would be troubling to some of like, whoa, whoa. hang on, is that, is that okay? Jesus identifies himself as the Savior, as the good Samaritan, which is why we have times wondering, why did they kill Jesus? Such a nice man. This story did not sit well with Jews. Like at all. In fact, this was revolutionary to say. Most of the time, the Jewish leaders were cast in a bad light. They didn't like that. And Jesus was the one who cast them like that. I wonder when the light hits us where we are. We always think of ourselves as the hero. We always think of ourselves as the right one. But when the true light hits us, are we willing to accept what's in the mirror? Or do we walk away and forget who we are? Dear brothers and sisters, don't be blind. Open your eyes to see. It's okay. It's okay to show him your wounds, where you're bleeding, where you're hurting, where you've been deeply hurt by others. Some of the time it wasn't even you and you've been wounded. Bring it to Jesus. You know, I always use this illustration, but it's true. When you get hurt, what do you do? You know, if, if somebody were to take a hammer and just slam it down on my finger right now, I'm not going to offer my other hand, right? Nobody gets their finger hurt and goes, oh, Oh, no, you want to protect that. It's like this natural instinct to draw it in, right? This is the act, you know, if you took a picture one second after I got hit with a hammer, it'd be like this, you know, something like that. I'm protecting the thing like, don't touch that, right? You don't offer it out here in the open. But that's what must happen if we are to be healed. When the doctor shows up, what does he say? You know, you've been, I've had stitches, Right? Let me see that thumb. And then my dad's like, boy, you show him that thumb. Okay, because I know the punishment's way worse than my thumb is hurting, right? Here you go, doc. Please don't hurt me, you know? This is how we have to come to Jesus, isn't it? Some of us have been deeply hurt, and we've become protective so much that we won't even show Jesus our wounds. You have to. The scripture says, confess your sins. Call it by name. You see, it's too painful for me to bring up. Not to Jesus. Jesus will not bring more pain to your pain. He will bring healing. When we're down in the ditch, stripped, humiliated, broken, bleeding, left for dead, and others are passing us by, Jesus will not pass us by. Dear brothers and sisters, if you don't know his healing power, 
I desire nothing more than that you do. We also see in this story, spiritually speaking, that Jesus, being this good Samaritan, puts him on his own animal. Which is to say, he puts everything on his own self. Doesn't he? He has bore our iniquities to the cross. He sacrificed for us. You see, he's the Savior because he comes not only... Not only in this way, but in a way that there's oil, there's wine, a balm for healing. Which shows to us, as the fathers pointed out, that these are sacramental elements. In other words, the inn that he takes him to is the church. And oil and wine represent this table that can only be offered here. Not at your own home, not in the privacy of your own personal individual self, but rather in community with brothers and sisters. You see, Christ offers for us to pay the price to redeem us. He's both the Savior, the great physician, and our Redeemer. Do you know this redeeming power? So, when we know this about Christ, that he's the good Samaritan, what does that mean for Christ followers? That we go and be good Samaritans, right? It's very simple. It's not, it's, this is not complicated, right? I'm not telling you anything. I'm really reminding you in this sermon of who you are. You are to be good Samaritans, which means you'll be the one that's hated. You'll be the one that's like, oh, yeah, they're definitely not going to do anything good in life. That's how they would have viewed the Samaritans. These heretics doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thoughts. Here's the wrong guy doing the right thing. And Jesus says, go and do likewise then. By the way, the man's not even able to bring himself to say the Samaritan, is he? When Jesus asked, who showed mercy? Or sorry, here's how it goes. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He says, well, the one who showed mercy. Not even able to bring himself to say, good Samaritan, stinking Samaritans. Who's the stinking somebody to you? I mean, you could say the good liberal He says, the one who showed mercy, go and do likewise then. Well, <laughs> if that doesn't hit us hard enough, let's just tilt the card a little bit to see the very clear ethical implication here. And you already know it, so I'm just sort of going to remind you of it. The man asked a question. But Jesus, kind of playing the game with him, never answers his question. Did you catch that? He never answers the question, who is my neighbor? Does he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Instead, he flips it around to say, be 
a neighbor. We want a list. We want the minimum requirement. And again, in the implication of this question, it means, who's my neighbor then? It means that other people aren't my neighbor. So I don't have to worry about them. And Samaritans weren't this dude's neighbor. You can pretty much guarantee that as an expert of the law. He's not getting close to a Samaritan. And instead, Jesus' answer to his question is to actually be a neighbor. Be neighborly. Love like this stinking good Samaritan that showed mercy, that rather than passing by, came near, the scripture says. Now let me just stop there and make a little little application. How many people do you pass by? You say, oh, here you go, Pastor Marshall. The guy on the street that's trying to get money, I pass him by, and you know that this week. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that person, okay? I'm talking about your neighborhood. I'm talking about a little closer to home. How many of your kids do you pass by to scroll on your phone? And their life is just passing before you. You lay up watching your favorite TV shows, which, look, I love to do. I'm probably going to, well, I can't do one today, but I'll think about doing one and wish. I did last week watch Rambo between the two times that I preached, you know, the original Rambo, which was very disappointing, actually. But I watched it with my kids, hoping it was going to be a cool experience, and it was like, hey, don't do what they did. Gee whiz. How many of us pass by those who are close to us? It's one thing to see people starving in Africa or in a fight in Ukraine and, and be pitiful. Oh, that's just such a pitiful. I wish I could show mercy. wish I could do something. When in your own house you can do something and you don't. When in your own neighborhood, there are families that are being torn to shreds on the side of the road, bleeding and wounded, and every day we pass by, open the garage, and shut it back down again. How many of us pass by and Jesus would be using us? He'd say, yeah, those people from Harvest Point, they passed by. And the good liberal showed mercy. The good Mormon showed mercy. The good hooded teen showed mercy. That's tough to swallow. But it's where you live. Jesus doesn't ever answer his question. Instead, he says, go and be a good neighbor to the next person you're close to. That's at work. We have all these great ideas of helping the world. We have to first help our own world by loving God first and then loving our neighbor as ourself. Now some of us don't like this 
unclarity, if you will. <laughs> we wish Jesus that just tell us plainly. And they, the disciples get frustrated with Jesus, don't they? Just tell us plainly, man. Like, that's me, right? Jesus takes the noun of who is my neighbor, and he makes it a verb, be a neighbor. He flips it on its head. He turns the card slightly. Are you being a neighbor? Because here's the thing. We always want to have these interesting conversations, but never want to do anything about it. People talk ad nauseum about politics and the world. Things are just so bad, so on and so forth. As if we are a defeated community. We are not, brothers and sisters, a defeated community. We've already won. Has no one told you? We are more than conquerors. Let's start acting like it. Now look, we can complain and we can be like the law and say, oh, yep, world's bleeding and dying. Man, crazy. And pass on by. Let's not do that. Let's start at home. And then from home to our neighborhood. And from the neighborhood to our work. And from our work to the world. In that order. Do this and you will live. That's what Jesus says. We like to act like we don't know everything and therefore we can't do it. You know, I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know really what to say. Just be human for a second with people. Hey, how are things going for you? Well, they're really poorly right now. I'll pray for you on that. And then follow up. It's literally that simple. You do not have to be a grand theologian to witness to people the love of Jesus. Listen, I hate that you're going through that. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, people need to hear that. Do you know that people call my wife just to hear her say, I'm so sorry for you. If something bad happened to my brother, he would call my wife just to hear her say, like, I'm really sorry you're going through that, doc. Because he's probably not going to get it from me. I'd be like, well, get over it, man, you know. But this is something that Jessica offers to people that is life-giving. Just like Deuteronomy 30 says that we read earlier, right? You don't have to go way up to heaven. You don't have to take a visit to heaven to know what to do. You know what to do. You already know it. I don't have to make the application today is the point. You already know what is required of you. You know what you need to do. Don't act like you don't. You don't have to go down or up to figure it out. You already know, so do it. Just have the faith to actually do it. Know your neighbors. Be a neighbor. Create a kingdom neighborhood. It's time to carry out and do it. So, go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.